You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Steve McCoy from 360 Church in Sarasota, Florida. We hope this message inspires you to press beyond ordinary. We are, uh, if you've been around 360 any amount of time, uh, you'll know that this is not a topic that we talk about a lot. So if you are here for the first time, you're tuning in for the first time, uh, I hope you don't tune us out by saying, oh boy, here we go, we're in church, we're talking about giving. We're really talking about the heart today. I believe that this conversation is, is necessary in the big circle uh, because it is such a spiritual struggle not a financial struggle, a spiritual struggle with so many believers. And I do believe that it is an obstacle to our growth in Christ and, our, and, and really growing. So it is a critical uh, part of our growth. As I'll share with you later, I struggled with this for about 10 years as a, as a, uh, when I first came to Christ and even working in the ministry. And uh, it was something that I had to learn was not a financial thing, but it was a spiritual thing. And so that may be you right now. And, and you are already you're bracing the seat. I, I, I promise you that we will. We understand God's patience. We understand that God is transforming us and, and we're working in all different areas. I don't think God is finished with me in this area, to be honest with you. Um, we, I, you know, we give a tithe to the local church. That's 10%. That, that, and I know for some of you, like, whoa, that's unexpected. That's why the title is Unexpected Giving. And, uh, and, but then God says, hey, don't stop there. You know, get, grow into an area where you're giving and offerings. And this is where God is working on my life. So I want you to know from the very beginning, that we're all in a mode of progress and God is transforming us in different areas of our life. So you can take a deep breath together and uh, as we open the, uh, the word of God. But I, it is a matter of the heart. This is why we must speak about it. We begin today in, in uh, the, uh, right outside the Garden of Eden. Uh, and there, as, as you see the opening of the scripture, you see that there are a couple of commands right off the bat that deal with the things that we see, material, material things, the things that are visible, the things that we have or not have. The first command to Adam and Eve is you can't take it all. You remember that uh, that God says, hey, all of this garden, and it must have been amazing. I mean, it must have been like the rainforest, the, the produce. You know, it didn't have uh, steroids or genetically, it wasn't genetically modified. And, you know, there was no bug spray necessary. I mean, it was, it was just, it must have been gorgeous. And God says, look, I, I made this for you, but you can't take it all. There's that one over there that's not yours. And of course, you know how we are, the forbidden fruit. They had to have it. They broke the rule. But that was the first thing. You can't take it all. Then when we see Genesis chapter 4, after they had broken that rule, the second thing that must have been part of the conversation is you can't keep it all. In fact, it's not just a command that you can't keep it all. It's not healthy. God is always wanting us to be at our optimum rhythm with him. And if we keep it all, we don't reflect the God who gave it all. When you look in the Bible, God by nature is a giver. In fact, probably the most uh, popular uh, verse in the New Testament is John chapter 3, verse 16, right? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. Not only did he give 
everything that we see, but we also know he gave his only son. So God by nature is a giver. If we're going to reflect who God is, if that's not part of our lives, then we will, then we, then God's going to say, Hey, we're, this is about becoming more and more like me. And so he's going to work with us in our lives. So when you look at the story of Cain and Abel, it's really interesting. It is no hidden secret that we don't have everything in the Bible. John, who wrote the fourth gospel, said in the very last chapter, he said, hey, if we were to write all the things down that we heard and saw and, and experienced, there wouldn't be enough room in the whole world for us to even contain all of the books. So we, we understand that. It's kind of a no-brainer. As you'll see in the, the story of Cain and Abel, it says, in the course of time. In the course of that time, and when you look at the original language, it's a long time. So in the course of time over a, a span uh, of space, there must have been a conversation between God and Adam and Eve and God and Cain and Abel and saying, look, it's going to be healthy that you give back. And not just give, that you give back understanding that everything you have, your flocks, your crops, all of that, I'm bringing to you. And I'm asking you out of your own health to bring back to God something so that you're not keeping it all. We begin in Genesis chapter 4 today and verse 2. Now Abel was a shepherd. He kept the flocks. He was a he was a herdsman and, and Cain was a farmer. He worked the soil. Here it is in the course of time. And we have no idea exactly how much that time was, but it was it was a time enough for God to have this conversation in the course of time. Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. I want you to notice that word, but. It's a contrasting, a contrasting word, right? Abel brought this, but Abel, Cain brought this, but Abel brought this. When you look at the, uh, when you begin to dig down deep into this, the, these words, the words are very critical in this story. So when you look at what Cain brought in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of his soil. What that meant was just a part of them, whatever was handy, whatever, like, well, I'll bring that tomato, I'll bring that, you know, I'll bring that. But, big word there, but, but Cain, but Abel brought the fat. In other words, the best of the best of the first. Now, you'll notice it was the first that he had. This is a big, this is a big deal. If you look in Genesis chapter 45, you'll see that when, when uh, the Pharaoh is talking to Joseph about bringing his dad down, Jacob, if you don't know that story, that's okay. He says, when he moves down, I'll give him the fat of the land, which meant I'll give him the best of the land. If you look in Genesis 45, I'll give him the best. So Cain had a different attitude than Abel. Abel said, man, I, God has given us everything. Man, I, let's see. There's a cow, there's a cow, there's a cow, there's a, cow, there's a sheep, there's a sheep. There. Oh, man, that one came first. And I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. See, in that world, in that time, in that culture, you didn't know what your crop was going to be next September. You didn't. You had no idea. Was it going to be a drought? Was it going to be flooding? Was it going to be hail? Was it going to be locusts? You didn't know. So to bring something was a risk unless you just had enough in the storehouse. You say, well, this this is OK. This is safe to give of the first like Abel did. Well, you don't know what's going to happen to your flocks. They may get a disease. They may get mad cow disease or whatever, mad sheep disease, whatever sheep get. And then they all die. 
So it was a risk to bring this offering uh, to, to, to God like this. Now watch this. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 4. At the, very, the second half of verse 4. The words are important. The words are important. And the order of the words are important. So here's God's response to this. The Lord looked on with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and, and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry. His face was downcast. Got really hacked off. Killed his brother. You, you, most of you know the story. But I want you to notice that it wasn't, we're, we're not told that the Lord looked on the offering. He looked on Abel. Okay? Here's the key to our whole conversation today. This is not a financial conversation. This is a heart conversation. Jesus said clearly where your heart, where your treasure is, with the thing that you really treasured, there's your heart. Billy Graham said it this way. Show me a man's checking book. I'll show you his heart. I'll show you where his heart is. So you see, it wasn't that, that Abel showed up and had this amazing best of the best of the first. And God said, man, that's awesome because I needed that. Let's go. That's like going to Warren Buffett and saying, guess what, Warren? I got you. Now, hold on. I got you a $10 Chick-fil-A gift card. He's <laughs> like, I own every chicken in the world. Or <laughs> I don't know if he does. Maybe he does. So, so. <laughs> you know, God, he, it's not the offering. He looked on Abel. He looked on the attitude. He looked on the willingness of this guy who said, I went for God, the best of the best of the first. It took a risk. Martin Luther said it this way. The faith of the individual was the weight which added value to Abel's offering. Because there's something very key here. When you look in Hebrews chapter 11, it's a list of some of the more famous and some less famous people of faith. If you look in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4, I find this interesting. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. What does that mean? Well, it was a risk. For Abel to say, I'm going to give the best of the best of the first because I don't know what's going to happen next week. It takes faith. I understand it. When we begin to talk about the tithe and Jacob brought the tithe, he brought 10% of what God had given him. Abraham brought 10% of what he had given him before the law came in, by the way. And he was, he was saying, I'm going to take that risk. By faith, I'm going to walk by faith. My story is this. When my wife in the first service, she was sitting over here and she started chuckling because it is, a, it is a deep cavern of our story together. When we kept everything, we lost everything. True story. We literally lost it. When we kept everything, we lost everything. I had to learn the hard way. Some people do. I do. I tend, I, tend to, I tend to learn the hard way. You know, God's like, okay, let's go to the woodshed. One more time there, McCoy. We're going you know, to learn it this way, right? But I, I had to learn that when I kept everything, I lost everything. Listen, even as a pastor in the ministry. See, I was in the sweat equity. Hey, well, I'm serving. I don't need to give anything to God. And something happened inside that God had to say, hey, let's work on that. Let's, let's begin to to massage that a little bit. Let's begin to clarify that because, Steve, your rhythm with me is not healthy as you're trying to hold on. 
We're doing a, a, a financial peace university. It starts next uh, week, I believe, this, uh, maybe this coming week. And financial peace university is Dave Ramsey. I don't know if you know Dave Ramsey. I used to listen to him almost every day on the radio, beans and rice, rice and beans. You know, he teaches people how to get out of debt. And I can't encourage you enough to take this godly advice of how to get out. It's very safe. Nobody's going to be pointing a finger. It's a nine-week course that we're offering here, uh, offered by a couple of experts, and it's, it's really amazing. I was interested in Dave Ramsey's take on people that are struggling financially. What should they do? Where does the tithe come into his, uh, to his uh, thinking and to his teaching? And so, uh, by the way, we have our message notes uh, on our online app, the Church Center app. Or if you want to get the message notes for today, I put in five articles about this. If God is really leaning you in to, to, to want to learn more. If you text the word SEEN, S-E-E-N, to 97,000, you'll get my message notes with these five articles. In fact, one of the, the articles is a paper that I wrote about seven years ago about giving because I knew it was such an, an area that people, you know, struggled with and wanted to know more. So if you want to go there, but here's what Dave Ramsey says. Even if you're in debt or walking through a rough financial season, tithing should be a priority. The first of the first of the best we give God, 10% of the beginning, it's tempting to throw that money at your debt. But the di- while it's tempting to throw that money at your debt, the discipline, here it is, and the faith that's required that tithing brings is so worth it. We began to see miracles when we began to say, God, I'm going to bring you the best of the best. of the best. And next Wednesday, I don't know, but I know you're living there. I know you're going to be there. We didn't give to God when we were making the most money we've ever made in our life. Put that together. I had, we, you know, we didn't have kids yet. I'm a workaholic. We had six jobs. I was teaching at a college. I had private piano students. I had a full-time church job. My wife was working in youth ministry. I mean, we had a lot of things going. And man, it was rolling in. And as it rolled it in, I kept it all. And then we lost it all. Literally lost it all. It was at that moment, I'm like, hey, I have to learn something. And that's not a financial lesson. It's a heart lesson. He says, even while you're paying down debt, you can still have an attitude of giving and be generous. If you think it would take a miracle to get through the month with 10% less in your wallet, you might need to do a lifestyle check. That's where Dave Ramsey comes in. Beans and rice, rice and beans until you get there. But put God first and watch what he'll do. Now, this is not a a message like, hey, you know, drop $5,000 in the offering plate and God's going to give you $15,000 back. If you drop $5,000 in, you drop $5,000 in, you drop $5,000 in, I'll take your $15,000. I'll take it home. No, I'm just kidding. Totally kidding. (laughs) This is not empty promises. The promise of God that he, it's a partnership. We do our part. God does his part. And Abel that day did his part and say, God, I'm putting you first. It was an attitude of the heart. The reason I like this, 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 uh, these words by Dave Ramsey is it hits us where we're at as Americans because debt is really high in America. And many of us, I'll say for myself, I had put myself in that position and I had to find a way and allow God to get me out, not just by my own effort. We're going to land today in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let me tell you why. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 
is a comparison chapter. Some things compared to other things. And 2 Corinthians chapter 8, written by Paul, he's writing to the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church, quite frankly, reminds me a lot of the American church, if I were honest. It, 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 they wrestled with consumerism. They wrestled with, you know, getting together, having peace with one another. They seems like they wrestled with cancel culture even back then. And they must have wrestled with this issue. And they were probably in the in the Corinthian church. There were probably different layers as it wasn't just a, you know, a really wealthy church. There were many wealthy people in the Corinthian church, but they were middle class. And there were there were there were those that were in a lower economic bracket. So it, it represents who we are. Compared to who Paul's going to talk to uh, them about, the Macedonians who were absolutely impoverished. Paul says of the Macedonians, their giving was unexpected because of their situation in their life. And the Macedonians, listen carefully, the Macedonians prove to us that this conversation has nothing to do with finances. It's about the heart. And this is where God works at the best. We begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1. Paul writes to the Corinthians, Now, brothers in Corinth, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. And this Macedonia was in a region. And then he goes on in, in verse 2, and I've made kind of a chart of things that don't make sense going together. You know, it's like, hey, do you want ketchup on your ice cream? Like, that does not seem like it would go together. Our 17-year-old our this week asked if he could, uh, we were at the grocery store, can you pick up, uh, you know, a box of, uh, you know, a carton of vanilla ice cream? And we said, uh, Why? And he said, for my morning smoothie before I go to school. <laughs> and he was a little angry when we didn't come home with vanilla ice cream for his school snack or smoothie. If you look at verse 2 in this chart that I've made, if we can pull that up, I want you to see these contrasts. Verse 2 goes like this. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy. Now those two things, let's face it, typically don't go well together. I mean, we're talking about not just a hard trial, but a not even severe trial, the most severe trial, and not just happy, but overflowing joy. You see how those like ketchup and ice cream, like, well, that's kind of weird. And then he goes on and says, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Well, those things don't go together that often. You know, man, now we're talking about, man, we got a rough month. You know, I just, my car just broke down. Thousand bucks. Like, okay, gonna be a little tight month. No, this is extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. That doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't make financial sense, but it makes heart sense. You see? And then he says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Okay, go back to, to Abel. Think of the faith. Think of the faith of the Macedonians. Extreme poverty. We don't know where our next piece of bread is coming from. But I'm telling you, we want to give the best of the best of the first to God. Have you ever noticed... When Jesus makes note of someone who's got a giving heart, a heart of generosity, 
that he kind of says, hey, let's let's focus on that. You remember the the widow who was coming to the temple and other people were dropping things in the offering. And Jesus said, OK, boys, huddle up. Let me let, let's take note of this. And he said, you know, all these other people, they're giving offerings. That's awesome. They're giving out of their wealth, their abundance. So there wasn't a lot of faith for a millionaire to give a thousand bucks. There wasn't a lot of faith in that. But they put the, the But this little lady put herself in a position of faith. Because this all this got a little coin. It's like the widow and Elijah. She had one mill left. These are the examples that God is not like saying, wow, we got a penny. The amount doesn't matter. It was the heart. God looked on Abel. Not his offering, just his offering. He looked on Abel. His generosity, his heart said, God, I love you. I want you to, I want you to be best and I want you to be first. In verse three or verse four, entirely on their own. This is crazy. They urgently pleaded, begged with us for the privilege of sharing. Stunning privilege of sharing in this service, the giving to the, to the ministry. So if you know me, if you hung around any amount of time, I love concepts, but I can't stay there. We have to we have to have, you know, when the subway rocks or the bus rocks, you got to have a handle. What, what's the handle here? In other words, how do you get to a heart like the Macedonians? How do you get what practical things are there? Now, you may be you may have turned off 20 minutes ago. Like, OK, there's a preacher talking about money. And, and that's cool. I did. I did for a long time. I'm not I'm not here to. To cut you down. Uh, I'm not here to judge you. I'm just not standing next to you outside when lightning strikes. No, I'm totally, totally kidding. Totally kidding. Totally kidding. You know, God is patient. He's working. So I, I get that. I understand. But I preach the word of God from a point of view that this is a heart. And I would be a really poor pastor if I were afraid if I'm going to step on your toes. So my concern that I've stepped on your toes this morning, zero. Because I'm counting on God moving your heart rather than being afraid I'm stepping on your toes because it is such a critical area of our life. Trust me, I know, I really know from this experience. So when Paul continues, there's some practical things. Okay, here's the first thing. If you're sitting there thinking like, oh, geez, how do I do that? I got these numbers. And well, if we give up, blah, 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 blah. Mm, no. First step, watch. First step is give yourself first to the Lord. Your first step is not to look in your pantry and see how much you can give to an offering. Your first step is not your checking account. Your first step is not your credit card account. Your first step is the altar of God. How do I know this? That's where God broke my heart. That's where God moved my heart. God, you're such a giver. And, and I, can't do, I can't do anymore. I can only say it and allow God to move you in, the, in his timing. And I trust in that. But it is, it is the first. Watch what Paul says in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 8. And they did not do as we expected. There it is. Unexpected giving. Extremely impoverished. They did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then they gave the offering they gave to us in keeping with God's will. You see, Abel, he had a relationship before he said, I want to pick that one. That 
one's the best of the best of the first. See, he was at the altar of God before he brought the offering to the altar of God. The Lord looked on Abel and then his offering. You see, it is truly, truly, truly a hard issue. Here's the second thing. A good message for us who live in the United States. Ruminate on those who sacrifice. Okay, ruminate on those who sacrifice. This is why Jesus said, hey, boys, look at that. Now that is something. Jesus did it all the time. Look at that. Now that one, that see the heart there? We live in a world that the, it's like a global village. It used to be you'd have to write a letter or get on a boat to go somewhere, but now everything is tight. I have the privilege of being very in the center of a global outreach this week, literally on Zoom. Colombia, South America, uh, Jordan in the Middle East, uh, Nepal, India. And the sacrifice that I see literally on every day, I sometimes hang up and begin to weep because we're li- I'm living in this world, but I'm living in, in this other world. Okay, all right. Let me let me kind of go a little higher here, and and let's blow our minds. With God, who is eternal, there is no time or space. Okay, there's no time or space. God is sitting in India, and Sarasota, and Alaska, all at the same time. I know it's like, I know so. But in other words, we're not. God's not myopic. God doesn't just see this, and then he's got to look over here and see this, and see this, and then see this. He sees it all at the same time. Watch what Paul says. He says, I'm not commanding you, you know, in order to have membership in this church, you got blah, 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 blah. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test your sincerity of your love by comparing it to those Macedonians, by the earnestness, by the passion. Look at these guys. They might inspire you. I got a text this morning at 730. From my good friend, our small circle trainer in India, he said, pray for us. I said, can I ask the church to pray for us without the details? The, the church nearby in his city, which I won't name the church nearby in his city, was attacked by a group. I won't name the group. 26 of his church family are now in the hospital. This is what I see on a daily basis. I see those going out and then I know there's I know there's political unrest in, in our country and I get it and I'm passionate about it and I scream at the TV just like everybody else does and I and I get that and yet I see these guys and these these women they, they're going out regardless the sacrifice, the passion that they have because they stop at the altar of God first. Paul is saying to them, as I'm saying to the American church, Corinthians, look at these guys out of extreme poverty. They begged us to be participants in the ministry. I need it. You need it. We need to see others around the world who are serving Christ. And, it, and then there is needing an awakening, a shaking of our faith. Otherwise, I love you. I'm delivering this with passion, love. Otherwise, we're going to fall asleep in our own comfort. And I love you. Sometimes. Just kidding. <laughs> you get it. 
I brought a little film with me this morning. It's very raw. Shot with us with a cell phone from our dear friend uh, in Nepal, who went on a training to take our to take the gospel to places where others typically don't go, to take hundreds of our small circle tools for those that gave their heart to Christ to build a foundation to multiply, not just to bring people to Christ and leave, but to disciple them. Hundreds of books, but hundreds of pounds of books in the backpacks that you'll see. They traveled all day on a bus, which isn't glorious. And then they walked. They're near the Himalayans. The landscape is rugged. The weather is below freezing. I asked where they slept outside. They thanked our church family for sending sleeping bags because there were some trips where they found stables and just curled up in the hay. So thanks for the sleeping bags that you sent. All day on a bus, four hours hiking in the mountains with hundreds of pounds of tools, books for others. They arrive at midnight. Next morning, you'll see the worship service. And then you'll see them going into pictures of them in training in a kind of a squatty kind of structure you couldn't even stand up in. It opens with, you'll see a man carrying a whiteboard across the field. I want you to take a look at this. Hallelujah. It's already midnight. And we are walking to reach our destination. It's full day of travel by bus. And now we are walking for four hours and we are at the last stage of trekking. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Yeah. It is uh, important for us to see. It is important for us to see. Finally, Paul says this, don't only give yourself to the Lord first, ruminate on those who sacrifice. And finally, don't forget what you've received. Don't forget what you've received. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that even though 
He was rich beyond measure. For your sakes, he became impoverished, poor, so that through his poverty, you might become rich. I'm hoping that in the heart, God will use one of these. Like, man, I've got to give myself to God first. I've got to forget, forget the financial part, the nuts and bolts. I've got to, I've got to give my, my heart to God first on this. Or maybe it, it, it's seeing something like this to say, you know what? I, I do, I can. God is, that comparison helps. Or maybe it's just as we even celebrate communion today to remember That God did not give the best of the best of the first. God gave the best of the best of the only. This was his only son. This is his only boy. We have another one. That's what God gave. And we became rich because of it. It reminds me, we end with this. Numbers chapter 18, verse 29. You must present as the Lord's portion the best and the holiest part of everything given to you. The best of the best of the first. It starts here, right here in the heart. Thank you for joining us. And special thanks for those of you who give generously to make this ministry possible. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can also subscribe or share it with your friends. For more information about 360 Church, visit us at the360church.com.